Lord, we just pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, we thank you that um, you call us friends and, and you don't hide things from your friends. You have things you want us to know. And we just pray that we'd be open to hear your voice, uh, that your spirit would guide, direct, teach, comfort, correct, whatever it is that you want to do, um, that we'd be open to it and that we just uh, praise you by being faithful and um, worshipful, acknowledging you as God, who you are. And we thank you that you've made a way that that can happen. So um, just encourage those that are struggling and we just need guidance, Lord, to live in the days that we do. So just teach us, enable us, and use us, and prepare us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, I think the Lord had put on my heart Philippians to begin with, um, just for encouragement, right? The time we live in, um, there can be seem a seemingly lack of joy. A lot of people are worried and concerned. A lot of things that we're not sure going on, uh, just because they're different. We live in a different world today than we did a little while ago. And uh, just, again, thinking back to Habakkuk, he, he, he had told him with the book we went through before this, you know, if I told you what's going to happen, you wouldn't even believe me. And if somebody three years ago kind of tried to tell you what today would be like or what last year was like, you'd be like, are you making this up? I don't even know. What do you mean? Masks? Are you kidding me? What are you talking about? Um, uh, but God has a plan, and he knows, and he's done something, and he's doing something, and it's good. And, well, and if we are open to what he has for us, we should be filled with joy because that just means that he's in control and he's doing something. And they were going through a difficulty in Philippi, uh, even though Paul had been there and set a precedence and showed them things, and he's writing this letter to encourage them. Times are difficult. Things might be going through that are hard to deal with, um, and they might have been disappointed or they might have had a, a misconception of what it meant to be in God's will And because uh, he mentions joy over and over, like I've mentioned, and they they should and can have joy available to them. So. It, maybe they weren't taught, or maybe they just misunderstood things. Um, but from what we can tell, there's no correction. They were in God's perfect will for their lives. And maybe they thought God's, uh, or the difficulty coming to them might have been God's disapproval of them. And he's just letting them know, no, it's okay. You know, Paul, of all people, had gone through very difficult times, and he understood. When God actually showed him everything he was going to go through before it even started, it tells us in Acts. So... Again, he just says, don't lose heart. God's working. Don't give up. He'll finish what he started. And that's a letter, I think, something he wants to tell us today. He might want to tell you. He wants, he's constantly telling me that. And, uh, and sometimes wrong teaching can misprepare us for that, or even just a, long, a wrong understanding. A lot of things going on today, people are talking about um, the government. It seems to be taking freedoms from us. And... Some people are thinking more things need to be imposed um, because of fear of something. So it seems like either you're in fear of contagious things or you're in fear of losing your freedom. And God's like, don't worry. <laughs> I'm in control. It's okay. You know, you know, a dead man has little rights besides, but we won't, that might come up later. <laughs> we don't have a lot of... <laughs> we, we, we never have Jesus able to be taken from us. We always have them. They can't take Jesus from you. So even if they made it illegal to worship him, they can't stop you from doing it. They might throw you in prison. They can't, but it won't stop you. 
And this is the example that they were going through. That's the thing that they were dealing with. They were doing things that they believe God told them to do, and it got hard, and they're like, what did I do wrong? Why am I, we don't know what their issue might have been personal. Everyone might have had a different problem. Um, but Paul is in jail as he's writing this to people that are being persecuted. And he's like, I was in jail when I was there. Don't let that freak you out. It, it, it might come here, it might not, but that's not something that should cause you to have a lack of joy or thinking God's disapproved with you. Paul was sick often, even though he healed people. There's this health and wealth doctrine that goes around that sometimes we can even think, like has been preached from here recently too, like I went to church three times this week and I read my Bible every day. It's like now God's really going to give me favor or bless me. Well, it's not about what we do. Right? It's not works. And God's going to bless you anyways. Um, but sometimes when things that are difficult happen, it's not because he's upset. Sometimes it's a correction and other times it's just he's using you to minister to people as we've been talking about. Um, in fact, the people that claim that if you're really healthy, then you're really spiritual, and if you're unhealthy, that's showing that you're in sin or something. Paul actually, we're going to read and talk about later, traveled with people, and one of them happened to be a doctor. Luke, Dr. Luke. So they get their doctrine from him, and he actually was sick often and wasn't opposed to medicine or, or help. But if we open up to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. And I know I'll finish the chapter today because I'm just going to read through it right now. So <laughs> even if I don't get to talking at all, we will get out of chapter 2 today. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to both to do to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we talked about that, right? God works in you, his, his, what he does, and then for us it's to work it out. And that's kind of going to be, the, again, the theme t tonight in, as, as in view of, in light of how it looks in ministry. Then my favorite verse that he keeps making me repeat, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among you, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I don't want to feel or come to the conclusion that what I did was empty, that it was for nothing. Yes, Verse 17, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. I'm not upset and I am not unrejoicing because of your difficulty and you can also feel that way for me, even though you're being treated harshly and I am in trouble. We talked about that thoroughly already. That's not necessarily a sign that something's going wrong. It just might mean the people that wanted to kill Jesus see Jesus in you, and they don't like him in you, and you can rejoice because God did something in you. 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. So I trust that Jesus is going to send Timothy to you. 
20, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus's. That is mind-boggling. Meditate on that for a while, right? I trust that Jesus is going to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. I'm going to send Timothy to you. He's going to tell me about your state, and I have confidence that you're doing well, and that's going to encourage me. For all seek their own, not the things. He says, I have no one like-minded. All seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesying as this letter is in our Bible, he was a prophet, states that he had no one like-minded. And you know how many people Paul met? You know how many people Paul ministered to? You know how many people traveled with Paul and some of them like had to depart and couldn't take being with him? He was a serious guy. It just came into my mind. There's a, an evangelist from England that comes here sometimes and he has Jesus as Lord like tattooed on his body, not t- literally tattooed, it's on his head, it's on a banner, it's on his pants, it's on his boots, and he walks around, somebody says, are you serious? He goes, do you think I'm serious? <laughs> he was dedicated, he, would go, he, he actually gets spit on, he goes to places that are harsh, but he, was, he is motivated, he's single-minded, single-eyed, and he has an intention, and he's going there, and Paul was all about the gospel. And uh, he actually, I guess it shouldn't surprise me that he only found one like-minded, but he actually found somebody like-minded. Timothy was right along with him and learned from him, and we'll be talking about that, about ministering with people and to people and in front of people and fellowship. And fellowship is two people in the same ship. People go in the same direction by the same means with the same destination. And when you are in ministry with somebody, you'll never find that you'll be closer to anybody than when you get into ministry with somebody. And the two of you are knit. And we'll find that's, I think, the main goal that God had for me tonight is it's okay that we're different. He doesn't send two people to go out to do the exact same thing. You're not sitting there little replicas both talking at the same time. He has a purpose for ministry. Just to go through that again, verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus's. And I just, I'm going to stop there too. For those of us at Calvary Chapel, Rochester, and online, I know Rob's not here. He just, if you're listening, don't listen. But not to boast. But aren't you thankful? A lot of people can teach the Bible. You can actually, which I'll be talking about too, get into the Word, buy a book, and teach a study. A lot of people can teach. There aren't too many people that sincerely care for the body. I'm so thankful. There's never a question, to me anyways, how much Rob cares about these people. He's such a loving, caring pastor, and God seemed fit to put him over this flock. And... uh, Pastoring is more than just teaching a Bible study. We're very blessed people. But you have 22, but you know his proven character that as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. So Timothy wasn't just one that was there or flash in the pan or wanted to make a name for himself. Because if you hang with Paul, you're going through difficulty and you're going to deal with things that are hard. And he did not leave. And it, 
He has a proven character, but he is as a son with the Father, and he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also, shall also come shortly. Paul says, I want to come to you. I believe I will be able to come to you. But before that, I have to find out how it's going to go with me. Timothy is here with me. I'm, and what it means, we can say, well, I've got to make sure that things are okay. And in our mind, when I'm thinking about something, I've got to say, I've got to see if I have the money for it. Well, Paul had to see if he was still going to be alive. He, was, he could be put to death in Rome. He's sitting there. So he's like, you know, I, I, I can't make plans. All I know is what I have today. But I believe that God has showed me. Timothy, I want to come to you. We'll talk more about that in a bit. 25, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So he says, I, I, am, I find it necessary that Epaphroditus comes to you, yet I hope to send Timothy to you. Epaphroditus is coming back. We'll find out. I think he tells us why. 26, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Epaphroditus, we've talked about, was in Philippi. There's contradictions. Nobody knows for sure. He might have been the pastor. We don't know if he was just somebody that they thought they could deal without, but they wanted to give to Paul in the ministry. They're, they felt obliged, and they took up a collection, and they sent it with Epaphrodites, who came to Paul in Rome. And while he was there, he ended up becoming very sick, and he had a heart for the ministry, and it didn't shake him. But he had heard that the people in Philippi were concerned for him, and his heart was for his people, and he didn't want them to struggle. And the apostle Paul said, now I feel obliged. I have to send him back. And that I uh, don't have sorrow upon sorrow. I'll feel sorry if he dies, but I'll also feel sorry for the state that you are left in. I'll be, I'll be upset that you're sad and upset that he's gone. You know, dying isn't the end. It's not even bad for a Christian. In fact, Jesus rejoiced in it. He, he takes delight in the, his children coming home. It's not really a death. It's a moving day. Everyone's going to get there eventually. Some have already gone on. Um, 20, therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Because of, for the work of Christ, he came close to death not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service to me. So regard such men. What men is that? He considered Epaphrodites a brother. How many people do you think you can call brother? I mean, I work for a company that has a union and everybody calls each other brother, and I'm hesitant. I know we have that in common at work. We're there, right? But but we don't have the same dad. I have a family. I have brothers and sisters. Yet, as a Christian, we have the same dad. We actually are brethren. We have the same spiritual. We're all one family. Yet, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. In fact, Paul wrote, 
that if they don't have the spirit, they're not his. So we are a family, and we have brothers and sisters. It's a family. Um, he is my brother and my fellow worker, and here's a guy that is serious about the work of Christ. And he called Epaphroditus a fellow worker, coming from Paul, coming from God. That is a high commendation. And he's a fellow soldier. Sometimes it's a battle. And they're going through things that are difficult. And just anyone in the church, if you act, want to live out your faith, if you say you're a Christian or the name of Jesus publicly, there's confrontation nowadays. And there's a lot of opposing, because all of a sudden, all of these things that the world, at least in our country specifically, are trying to say are okay, like you can't tell them what gender they are. There's a lot of things that are becoming more and more pressed that if you oppose that, it's a war, it's a battle, it's a spiritual war, right? That's why we have to take on the armor because we're in a fight. And above all, pray, right? That's the, the goal is to make sure that we don't be deceived or are taken down um, fighting the wrong fight or something, right? If you're not out preaching, there's, we're going to be going through the gifts. We'll be reading through Corinthians also. But if there's, there's things that we have to do, and a lot of them are to fight, and some of them are fighting deception. And the enemy, the enemy is the one that's de that deceives, not the deceived, right? We don't go out and try to take down people because they're not a believer. We try to get them to become a believer. They have been hurt by the enemy, and they are actually the goal, the prize, the thing that Jesus died for. And it seems like it's the natural thing if all of this stuff is in you, and all of a sudden you stop doing what Jesus has called you to, and it, but you still have it all in you. You can't deny it. The next thing that happens generally is you become religious because you can't deny that it's not true but you're not actively involved in the ministry, so what do you do? You normally just get religious, and then what happens? Now, next thing you know, you're fighting with your family, right? If I'm not gonna go out, and I, don't, I can't take getting into a, a battle, or I'm not being received, or I'm preaching, and no one's getting saved, and I start getting frustrated, the next thing you know, I'm arguing about doctrine in the church, now I'm battering in the, in the, in the family, and that's never healthy, and that's not the intent, but sometimes if we're not doing what we're supposed to do, We'll be reading about that, too. I made a comment or a reference to a verse that we'll be going over also. God has a plan for your life. If you're not walking on that plan, then you have to come up with your own plan. And if you come up with your own plan, it's your power that gets you through it because his power is for his plan. And then the results are yours. Next thing you know, you have this burden that you're trying to get something done. Next thing you know, you're getting upset with people because it's not working. And now you're getting frustrated, and now everyone's frustrated with you, which we can go back to do all things without complaining and disputing, right? Because you're not walking in the Spirit. So just if you're walking in the Spirit, the Spirit in me doesn't have a problem with the Spirit in you. And there'll be a union. and We don't have to create um, that union. It's already there. So Paul is telling them Epaphroditus, because of the work that he did, he, he didn't regard his own life. We see that also in Timothy. He says, for all seek their own, not the things which are Christ. But you know him. He's different. There's something about giving up of yourself and, get, and doing it for others and for God. And that's highly recommended. And he says, hold those in high esteem. And, the, and as I was going through this, and again, the ministry, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God puts in you, you work it out. We all have a calling, and that's our, our goal, and that's what we do. And then this seemed like an odd time, but he gives us two examples of people that lived it. 
and they're both highly recommended. They, they both have high accommodations, acclamations from Paul. Yet he's sending Epaphrodites there, and he speaks highly of Epaphrodites. So why would he need to send Timothy then? He's, if, he, if they already have somebody that's spiritual coming to them, and why can't Timothy do, or why can't Epaphrodites do what Timothy was going to do? Why would he have two people go to do the same thing? And besides that, he wants to go himself. So, with all of that, they have a proven character. Just talking about Timothy, right? His name means honoring God. We, you know, going through it with Richard. His mother, he has a background. Um, Eunice and his grandmother Lois, they were believers. His dad was Greek. Um, he was first, Acts 16 in Lystra was the first time he was mentioned that he came along Paul. Some people believe that that's where he lived and was from and he got saved there. Um, and then he traveled with Paul, so he spent a lot of time with Paul. This a guy that was um, traveled with Paul to Phrygia, Galatia, Mysia, Troas, Philippi, and Berea. Then he followed Paul to Athens and he was sent by him with Silas on a mission to Thessalonica. And then we find him at Corinth again with Paul. And then he passes out of sight for a few years, and he's mentioned with Paul at Ephesus. And then he sends him into Macedonia. And then he's accompanied Paul into Asia, where he was with him for some time. And then he was with Paul while he was a prisoner in Rome. And he's, he's like-minded with Paul. He has a proven character. And Paul says, he served with me, and he was as a son. And, and again, there's, you can tell a difference. They're both highly recommended, but he calls one a son and one a brother. And, and we have different relationships with people in the body, too, and that's, that's normal and it's good. Some people, we're all called to be disciples, and we're all called to, disciple, to be a discipler. And you come along, people, and it's good for us. Sure, people need to be discipled, but if you're not training somebody, that's all part of it. That's how love is expressed. You want to pass on... God says, you know, freely you've received, freely give. And it's a flow. It's something that it's a natural movement of the spirit. He wants us to be engaged with people, right? And I just think of when two or more are gathered in my name, that doesn't mean if you're alone, he's not there, right? He goes, I'll be there in the midst. He is love. God is love. And when two of you are together and you're loving each other, he, that is his presence there. He wants to be expressed in that way. And that's one of the ways that we show love to one another, so Paul is considered Timothy as a son, and he considered, uh, listed Epaphrodites as a brother, a companion in labor, a fellow soldier. Um, and he, he traveled with a lot of people. He saw a lot of things. He spoke highly of them. He also tells and gives a warning of other individuals in the Bible to stay away from. He was okay with naming names and uh, because he loved people. If there's something to be cautious of, you should be cautious of it. That's like saying, this food is really good, but I'm not going to tell you what's poisonous and might kill you because I don't want to make them it feel bad. No, if there's something that's dangerous, you need to stay away from it, physically as well as spiritually. And Paul said it, and he traveled around again a lot. He traveled with Barnabas for a while, right, known as the son of consolation. People love being around Barnabas. He had a gift that would just lift people up, right? He was uh, I believe related with John Mark, and, and he wanted to make him feel good. And he got to the point when John Mark also traveled with Paul that they had an outing, and Barnabas says, you know what, Mark and I will go this way, and Paul and Silas separated, right, in Acts 15. And then Silas with Paul on his second missionary trip, even when they were imprisoned in Philippi, so 
we know that Silas was here also. And then again, as I mentioned, he traveled with Luke, a doctor. And then again, mostly with Timothy, his son. So he's sending one. He's probably going to send another. And uh, we'll get into the two-by-two two thing in a minute um, when we get into Jesus sending out the disciples two-by-two. Two. Sometimes it's, it's nice just to have a friend. It's nice to be encouraged. Sometimes it's difficult. You need somebody to, to keep you going. But... They each had different gifts, right? Only one person ever had all the gifts. That was Jesus. He imparts gifts as he seems fit. Everybody that is, a, is saved has at least one gift. Why does God get gifts? First of all, he's a giving God. But second of all, we're needy. He, Jesus himself said, without me, you can do nothing. So if he calls you to do something, that means he has given you what you need in order to accomplish it. So the next question, natural question should be, is if he's given me something to do and he's given me the gift to do it, what is it? Right? We talked about that last time. I'm going to talk about it more today. What's my calling in life? What's, what has he done in me? And as a, as a body, as a leadership, you want to notice, what do I see that God has done in somebody? So let's get them involved in it. Some people will come up, you know, hey, I think I'm supposed to, to lead. Okay, well, if God has given you something to lead, there will be people following you. If there's nobody following you, then don't get frustrated. Maybe he's called you to something else. But if there's, hey, all of a sudden all these people are following me, right? I can see somebody in the back smiling. <laughs> we, we, in jail, we served together often, and we would have a Bible study, and sometimes some, sometimes a lot of people would come more than others. And next thing you know, there's somebody in there that wants to speak up and start sharing and teaching something else. And it's like they ask, they ask a question, but the question actually ends up in like a 10-minute, if you let it go that long. And then afterwards, people are like, yeah, he, want, he wants, he's teaching all the time. He shows up at their prayer meeting that they had and teaches, and, he's, and you confront him afterwards. And, you know, he goes, well, I think I'm called to teach. I'm like, well, then start your own Bible study. He goes, yeah, I do, but nobody comes. I was like, so you're going to come teach at our study? People come to hear the Word of God, and you think you have an audience, and all of a sudden... Maybe you're not called to teach. I don't know. That's, a, that's between you and the Lord. But I know they're complaining about you talking here, so I don't think this is the avenue for that to happen. Um, what gifts do we have? So let's, if you could flip to 1 Corinthians 12. All right, it's pretty simple. We're not going to go there, but 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, they're, they're both 12s. They both talk about certain things. 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual or spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols or mute, unable to speak, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus cursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is, all, it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So each one has been given a gift, and it is for everyone else. And one of the reasons why it's important to come to fellowship. First of all, you only have a part. 
you're missing the rest of the whole. And when you come, you're receiving the rest of the whole from everybody else. But also, you have something that other people need. That's, that's why it says the world will be known by disciples, by the love you have one for another. And as they see a, a group of people coming together that are spiritual, and they're all exercising the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them to edify everybody, everyone's edified, everyone's built up, everyone's encouraged, everyone has something to do, and it is a natural life of a living body in Christ. It's something that's supposed to happen. Um, but to skip over, because this isn't a, supposed to be anyways a detailed, what is God doing with you? Just the fact, I just want to let you know that God has done something. Seek it out and find out what it is. Um, but he goes through this list of all of these gifts, and then it, the last ver, uh, verse of chapter 12 says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Accommodation given to both Timothy and Epaphrodites is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And that can be noted as a controversial verse, but I think if you just keep reading, it explains it. What is coming that is perfect? And I hope you're all waiting for him. His name's Jesus. And I think everything that it said before this, he is, like it does in Hebrews, there's a shadow being cast, and he's the object that, the, that causes the shadow. All these gifts point to him. All of these things are of the Spirit, and they all, we mentioned, read that last time too. Right when, when the Spirit comes, he will speak of Jesus. All of these things are speaking of Jesus. And then when he comes, you won't have a need for it. You're not going to have a need for one of us to sit up here and teach. Jesus is going to teach. You're not going to have to have somebody tell you what God says. He'll tell you. You're not going to have to have an interpretation of tongue. He's going to be speaking a language we all know. All of these things are designed uh, to point us to him, that we are his body, are exhibiting these gifts, him through us. But when he comes, he won't need us to do that anymore. And then it goes on to say, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, when, when that which is perfect has come, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then, when that which is perfect has come, I shall know just as I also am known, and now abide 
faith, hope, and love. And these, th these three, but the greatest of these is love. And he mentions the gifts, and then he spends a whole chapter talking about love. If you exercise gifts, if you do things for God, but you don't have a love for God and a love for people, he says it's useless, it's doing nothing. Just like I mentioned that guy on the street that told me that one guy that spent his whole life doing good, but he never got saved. Yeah, he did all of those things without love. He was a clinging symbol. He, it was useless, according to the Bible. Verse 14. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. If you don't have verse 3 underlined and highlighted in your Bible, I would recommend it. New Testament prophecy. If you're not edifying, exhorting, and comforting, then you're not prophesying. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. Edified to build up, to encourage, to lift. The word of God as it's being taught should be lifting people up and encouraging them. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? My goal is to come to you, to lift you up, and to teach you, and to prophesy. The gifts that was, were given to Paul is that he might build up the body of Christ, and that is why we have it, right? In the, my life verse, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of God has come, and then it goes why the Spirit is in him. It's all about ministry and how we, it's going to be used in, in what he's going to do. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. If you're not, you, love is first. He, there's, there's works, and then there's fruit. Right? I went out and I saw six people got saved. Man, that was good fruit. No, that, that there was a, there's a value from that. The fruit was the love that you had. Fruit is, love is the fruit of the Spirit. There's a result that can happen. God is looking at your heart. He just wants you to be faithful. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Go because you love him. And if something happens, fine. If it doesn't, it's fine. Follow me. It doesn't matter if it's hard. You can have fruit of the Spirit, joy. Joy pleases him. It means that you're walking in him. He only receives what he, what he first gave you. He'll give you something. You walk in it. Your faithfulness is the goal. There won't be a result unless you're faithful. But the faithfulness is, is, the, is the result. That's your walk. You just do what God says, which some people say, you know, it, it doesn't really matter what you do. It's not that easy. Well, in order to do what God says, you've got to deny yourself. And Paul found very few people that were willing to go to the length that he was willing to go to. It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. But it's worth it. Christianity is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Pursue love. And once you start loving people, you're going to find out, I need something to give them. Okay, then you'll desire gifts. Because <laughs> that's really, the things that come from God are the only things that you have that are worth anything that will really only be the only thing that benefit people. And again, there's a danger because 
you can't exercise gifts. Sometimes God will just do it to make a point because um, he wants his word out there. Uh, but sometimes there's not love involved. And I believe that you can actually be used by God even exercising gifts, even if you're not saved. So just to say that you did something for God is, isn't enough. The question is, is, was there love there? Right? We just read that in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, but if you turn with me to Matthew 7... Verse 15. Matthew 7, verse 15. If you have a Bible in red, words are in red. This is Jesus speaking. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You don't know them by what they do. You know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That tells you that he wants fruit. <laughs> he, that's our, our purpose in life is to have the fruit. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So now he's saying there should be works. It's not about the works that make you right. Fruit is love, but there will be, just James explains that pretty clearly. Then he goes on in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And, I, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And he doesn't say, yeah, you were doing good, but you lost your salvation. He didn't say, I knew you once, or I knew you in those deeds. He says, I never knew you. And that word, we had talked about that a couple weeks ago, too, is gnosko. It's a personal relationship knowledge. It's like that one that a man and a wife has, and a child comes from. It's intimacy Right? Even that same word is used often for a bearing of children because it's the two becoming one. It wasn't me doing it through you. The motive was wrong. There was no love involved there. You were trying to prove something. Yeah, you were busy and you claimed to be a Christian. You said, Lord, Lord. He's like, but I wasn't in that. That wasn't me working with you. That was you being busy and doing something. And I've heard many pastors say that's one of the scariest verses in the Bible. You will know them by their fruit. So we are to know them. You're to be aware. And the thing is, is this, does this person genuinely seem to care for me? Are they coming to me because they want me to be built up and to know Jesus better? Or are they just telling me something because they want me to think that they're smart or they have something that they want approval of? Or are they just trying to coerce me into thinking that something's okay because then it'll make them feel better about doing it? What's the motive? And the motive matters. And the motive needs to be love. And love only comes from God. You need to be filled with his spirit. And we can all make mistakes and we can all get places. But that, he, he says ministry is supposed to be started by me and also continued by me. And he, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will do it for the glory of the Father. So the spirit leads you to Jesus. Jesus leads you to the Father. The Father sends the spirit. 
If you'd flip with me to John chapter 11, we actually see a picture of this. end of the chapter, verse 45. John eleven forty-five. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. Like that's a horrible thing. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. If they all believe in him, I'm going to lose my job. We're going to lose our power. People aren't going to come and think I'm great anymore. 49. And one of them, I like it, how the Bible words things sometimes. Oh, yeah, and this guy, you know, Caiaphas, you know, the high priest, the guy that came in one of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Well, he got that right. Nor do you consider that it is expedient that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now, this he did, not saying his own authority, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied, here is the high priest prophesying, according to the Bible, that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there remained with his disciples, and the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves And they, as they stood in the temple. What do you think, that he will not come to the feast? Now, both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. Caiaphas prophesied being the high priest. It's better that one die instead of us all. That's the gospel, right? Jesus died for me, so I didn't have to die. And he was the high priest, and God calls it prophecy. Yet we find he was present in Luke 3, during the beginnings of Jesus' reign. He was still the high priest during the time when Jesus got judged. And in John 11 and 18, he opposed those who preached the gospel in Acts 4. He prophesied, but he was never saved, and he used the gift without love. Here is a guy prophesying because God deemed fit that prophecy was to be had. It's a truth. He can use you. And then you can come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? He's like, yeah, you prophesied, but I never knew you. It's not about what you did. A lot of people can do things if I allow it, but that doesn't mean I'm going to receive it and it's not going to be for your credit. Was it done by faith? Was it done because you love people? Was it something I did through you? Are you acting out in response because you believe the truth? Did you change your mind? Did you repent? Are you filled with the Spirit? I don't even recognize you, but I can use anybody. So what's the greatest miracle? I say it's you if you're saved, right? Sometimes people say, oh, God stopped an earthquake, or he, he did this miracle, or the wind stopped. Well, nature has to, all he has to do is speak. It has to obey. 
It doesn't have a will. We have a will. We can choose to not obey God, but if you allow him to come in, you are the, the, not only the, the best, in my estimation, miracle, but you're also the proof. He says, the world will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. You are living proof that God exists, that he cares, and that he can do something. You are the light of the world. That's me? Really? You're going to use me? Why would you use me? Because it's impossible. and I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm real. Because if I can use you, then they know I did something. He desires gifts. He can cause us to be loving. And I, I just think of, if you flip with me to Mark 6. And I'm not sure how far I want to get into this. This could be a whole study in and of itself. Um, Mark 6, verse 7. Ministry. He calls us. He uses us. He equips us. He sends us. It's for his glory. Sometimes I believe the Philippians were getting discouraged. They were unsure. They didn't know what was happening. And their joy was because they weren't taught. And, they, and, and Paul was trying to help them. And I think this picture, to me anyways, maybe it was personal, but God really spoke to me through this years ago. It says, And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Also he said to them, In whatever place you enter, stay there until you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust from under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out demons. They anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So all of a sudden you have these apostles. Well, you have disciples that he called, and after he equipped them, he called them apostles in Matthew 10. So they became apostles when they were equipped for the ministry. He did it. He called them. He gave it to them. He prayed. He picked them. And then he sends them out two by two. So here's the directions that he gave them. I've given you the ability. Go use it. I've given you something to do. Now do it. This is what I had preordained, planned for you from before the foundations of the earth, before I saw you in your mother's womb. I had a calling in your life. I knew who you were. Go out and use what I've given you. And he sends them out two by two. So they weren't identical, right? Otherwise, they'd both be interrupting each other, doing the same thing. And uh, a lot of people say, it's not clear. He doesn't say why. So we can only speculate. I think there's other verses that... Uh, on the two witnesses, I think she'll be established. So sometimes people say that he sent them out two by two because otherwise no one would believe him. But there are people that went out alone. It doesn't say you have to go out two by two. Um, I know I've gone out before, and it's just encouraging to me. Sometimes you get discouraged. Sometimes it's hard. I just I need to have somebody to help me go push forward. It's it, and also there's love there, and it's a way to really get to know somebody. It's a way to get discipled and be discipling. It's 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 part of his plan for life. And it, it's healthy. So he tells them to go out and use what he gave them. And I'll kind of 
get to the end of the story there. When did he tell him to come back? How long were they supposed to do this? Or if you're out doing things, why would you do something, right? Well, flip to, next thing you know, I think is relevant. I'll get back to it later. There's a little diversion in the story about John the Baptist. But then we get to verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus. Again, why? Why did they come back? It doesn't say. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. So they were out doing stuff, and he's like, oh, okay, that sounds good. Here you are, and you're telling me what you did. You guys need rest. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And we know the story. Next thing you know, there's 5,000 people there, and he tells them to eat. Gets, get, you know, you get them food, you get them bread. The miracles happen. Uh, and then... Uh, it says, 45, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And again, this verse stuck out to me years ago, and it has ever since, 47. Now when evening had came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And isn't that a picture of us? And it's not bad. He's up on the mountain, we're out in the water, stuck. He, he is holy. There is only one. He is holy. He's praying for us, and it's all okay. But we're all in the same boat. He is separate. We're not him, and he is not us. He loves us, and he can care for us. He's above us. He's Jesus. We're not. I think they forgot that. I think that is why this whole thing happened. And we'll get to it in a second here. He saw them, 48, straining at rowing. The wind was against them, which I think he was praying for. And then he walks on the water out to them. And they get freaked out, right? They obviously weren't looking for him because they saw him and they thought they saw a ghost. And he's like, cheer up. It's me. You don't need to be afraid. And he didn't scold them. And the, and the thing that, 55, then he went up into the boat to them. The wind ceased. They were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Why? For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. So here they were in ministry, and all of a sudden they come back to Jesus, and he looks at them after hearing all these great things that they did, and he wasn't impressed, and he goes, you guys look tired. They had hard hearts. He says, you need to see something. And I believe what they saw was he gets them out into a place where they have to do something. I think the rest, some people say, why would he take them to rest in a place where there's going to be lots of people? He's God. Doesn't he know everything that's going to happen? Well, yeah, he had to put them into a place where they couldn't do something that they needed to learn that he'll do it for them. It's about him doing it. The rest is when, you know what, just let me do it. Sit them down. I'll give, I'll give you what they need, like I've been doing. They, saw, they were walking with Jesus, and they saw him going out and, and healing people and prophesying and doing miracles. And then they were doing the same thing. And I think it got to a point where they're like, you know what, we're just like him. And they, they, they knew that wasn't true, but in habit and through ritual, that was what was happening. They were depending too much upon themselves. And next thing you know, a trial comes into their life. And they are, John the Baptist was doing what they were doing and they, there he was without a head in his body, dead. 
and it stumbled them. And all of a sudden, that picture is in the middle. They were preaching. John dies. They come back to Jesus and said, hey, look what we did. And it doesn't say that he looked at him and says, why did you come back? But they had a difficulty. There was no joy. I think, I think of the Philippian church. And he just wanted to encourage them. You need to know it's about me. It's not about you. It's about me. It's not about you. I have a plan for your life. I'll fulfill it. As you walk with me, it might be hard because I'm going to grow you in, in who I am. And you're going to keep, I mean, I just think of John. First, he knew him as a little kid. And then all of a sudden, he sees him later and he's in awe. The Apostle John, right? And then he's, gets, he's in awe over what happened. He's in awe of him here. Then he gets comfortable again, enough to where he's laying on his bosom at the Last Supper He's, hang, he's comfortable, and then he sees him ascend up. He knew him very well, yet when he gets the vision of him in heaven for who he really is, he says, I fell at the ground as a dead, which should have been his posture every time he saw him. But sometimes we get comfortable. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we just go through the motions, and he brings something to us that we can't do or that's hard to remind us, you can't do this. Let me do it. I'm here. I am capable I don't want to make your life hard. I want to make it easy. I want you to let me do it for you because it's not hard for me. And if you're trying to do it, I'm going to let you fail because you need to give up. The goal, the result isn't the goal. Your faithfulness is the goal. It's okay if, it, if things are difficult. The world, he might take you to somebody that doesn't want to, to hear it because he needs them to hear it and he just wants to know if you're willing. You don't have to save them. You can't save them. The goal isn't that. The goal is just to be faithful. And they, they were there and had hard hearts. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to let you see a miracle. And he fed thousands of people by their hands, and they still didn't get it. And he still didn't give up. I'm going to blow your minds. But you might have to, okay, this is too hard. I don't know how to feed them. And if you're not going to get that, okay, well, now I think I'm going to die. I'm in a boat, and it's all over. It might get harder for you, but that only means... When he pulls you out of it, you're going to be more in awe of who he is. We can be in awe of who he is because he is an awesome God. And he has a plan for us, right? I made reference last time to Psalm 139. Why don't we go there? And again, the attributes of God. This is why... He is to be in awe of. And there are attributes that are only given to God, and there are attributes that are both given or given to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? We know omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotent. All-knowing, everywhere at once, all-powerful. And he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You already know what I'm going to say before I say it. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Verse 7. That's his omniscience. Verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. 
If I say, surely darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide me from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. God knows every single thing about what's inside of you. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. And this is the verse I referenced last time. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. I was not formed yet physically. And in your book, they all were written, what was written? The days fashioned for me. So there are days for you, and they've been formed. When as yet there was none of them. Before you lived a day on the earth, God already had fashioned for you everything that he had. How precious, and it's, right, we, Jeremiah, and it's for good, not for evil. How precious also are the thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. So here he's talking about how wonderful everything is. And then in verse 19, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. A heart that wants the wicked slayed. Who do you think is the greatest enemy or the biggest uh, thing that can keep you from getting close to God? I'll tell you right now, exactly. Me, my flesh, my old nature, my old man. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. He doesn't tell us to refine our flesh. He says it has to be crucified. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect or complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And that verse, I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them as my enemies. There's a verse in the Bible in the New Testament. I don't know if it rings a bell to you or if it comes to your mind when you read that. But be angry and sin not. If you're going to hate, hate with perfect hatred without sinning, which we're about to go there. And then he concludes the whole thing in a good spot. You're all powerful. You're everywhere at once. You know everything. You hate evil. You've caused me to hate evil. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. You have a plan for my life. You created me for a purpose. You knew it before I was even here. You hate evil. You love me. You have a plan for me. Search me. Know my heart and test to see if I have anxieties. What am I worried about? If you're just walking with God, who cares? If he takes you home, who cares? If you get sick, who cares? Your life's not your own. That's Christianity is just like, here I am, use me, what do you want to do with me? And then every anxiety or cry is, no, not that, no, not that, no, not that. Why, why did that happen? How come I'm sick? Where'd my job go? How come I don't have enough money? No anxiety, it doesn't matter. Okay, what is he gonna do? Not that, we, not that they're not real concerns, but they shouldn't be something that's going to cause us to fall away from faith. Right? We talk about that in Philippians. Paul, he, he, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
right? In, in context that says I was rich, I was poor, I was healthy, I was sick. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. I just wanted to serve you. I can, I can worship you by faith and walk by faith and love you and my neighbors no matter what happens to me. So if he chooses to test that, that's on him. But be angry and sin not. Ephesians 4. Let's turn there. Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. They're thinking their way through it. But they have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. So there is a life God has for them, but they're thinking what they want. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, they can't see it. 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. 23, and, so it's not just about what you don't do, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, the conclusion, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Prophesy, right? Prophesying is always a building up. 30, and how can you do that? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You do all that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. In Christ, God forgave you. Hide in Christ. Hide in him. Go to him. Ask, put him on. Put off the old man. Put him on and say, you have a plan for my life. I can't do it without you. It is a way I show you that I love you, and it is a way, the only way that I can love you and others. And I want to be on that path, and I need you to do it for me, and I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit through whom which you want to do it through me with. As God in Christ forgave you, and in Christ you are forgiven. And that leads us into communion. <clears throat>